Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey, my name is Stuart Scheller. I resigned as a lieutenant colonel in the United States Marine Corps, and I'm excited to be on the Halls of Mirrors podcast. All right. So do we call you Lieutenant Colonel Scheller still? You can call me Stu. I, well, I, I want to go. I want to be respectful to the, to the title and the office that you've served. So I, I do appreciate your service. So um, Lieutenant Colonel's a lot and I'll probably stutter through that. So I'll, I'll call you Stu. Yeah, Stu's easy. <laughs> okay. So thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. You guys got a pretty awesome following. You helped my parents out. I really apologize. I had to cancel on you the other day. So I appreciate you taking me on. Uh, we we, uh, we know life happens and life is probably moving at a uh, warp speed for you right now, huh? It is. It is. I told you, Dad's hilarious, man. <laughs> I'll never forget. Like the the, the first time we talked to them, it, they were they had just hit the circuit, man. And Fox News, everybody was all over them, and we only had like 10, 15 minutes or something. And your dad at the end, he's like, he goes, "We're gonna do this again." Oh, okay. And. uh Weeks go by, or maybe not a week, maybe, maybe two weeks. Maybe yeah, about two weeks. And I'm watching playoff baseball with my son on the couch, and it's like nine o'clock at night, and my, my phone rings. And it's your dad. Hey, it's the Hall and Oates guy. Uh, <laughs> but he's like, yeah. He's like, listen. He goes, uh, I'm ready as much time as you want. I'm like, we'd be honored. But yeah, he sends me funny text messages all the time now. Yeah, you guys made quite the impression on him because he kept asking me, "Is it? Have you gone on Hall of Mirrors yet?" And I was like, "What is, what is with you and Hall of Mirrors?" He's like, "I like He's like, "Good people." Well, I'll tell you, we're, we're nothing special, but it, in in the same breath, uh, we understand how, and and we try to relay it to your your dad and mom that you know Fox News and all the big outlets they're going to use it as a storyline, as a filler piece, and then they're going to kind of just fade it off and. I'm not interested in that. I want to know the story. And, you know, Randy and I want to know what's going on. We want to keep up to date with it because that, that's how these things, you know, once they don't, once they don't intrigue the public anymore, uh, they, they go away. And that, that's, that's how the, the nefarious things uh, tend to come to light. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so with that being said, um, obviously you're, you're, you're a free man now. Uh, we, so congratulations on uh, an honorable discharge. General under honorable, just general under honorable, and that that is where the point of contention is on yeah. this, right? Well, yeah, I mean they they have the option of doing honorable to the step down as general under honorable, and so they unanimously endorsed general under honorable. So it is what it is. Okay, so let, how about we start with this? Um, I'm going to assume that those that are watching have remedial knowledge at best of of your situation so can you just give us a little contextual background insofar as you know how long you served for and you know what bring us up to date yeah i'm served in the marine corps for 17 years infantry officer five deployments iraq and afghanistan been to both places 
And, you know, I'm very passionate about what I have done, all the things that I've seen service members do. And I've watched them win almost every tactical battle. And I've watched us continue to make bad decisions at the operational and strategic level. When I went to some formal schools, I studied foreign diplomacy and and I focused on the operational and strategic level. I wrote my master's thesis on how to improve foreign diplomacy. And it's something that I've just been thinking about for a long time. And I was, I felt kind of personally invested in the unit that responded. So that was my first unit. I went to Iraq with them. My best friend had been hit with a suicide vest attack with them. And I spent a lot of time with him and Walter Reed. And so, you know, I was just familiar with some bad decisions with policymakers that led to suicide vest attacks. And I had seen it, you know, from beginning to end. And I had also trained, manned, and equipped that unit when I, I was, before I was a battalion commander, I was a regimental opso. So I was their higher headquarters that sent them out. So just very personally invested. And the Commandant of the Marine Corps had released a statement when the Afghanistan withdrawal started coming off the rails because everyone was getting upset. So he tried to dress in the force and he said, just want to let you know your sacrifices were worth it. But if you're going, if you're struggling, you need to go see a therapist. And I felt like he was victimizing service members and wasn't acknowledging the real root problem, which was consistent bad decisions by the policymakers and senior general officers so I was frustrated by that. And then when the attack happened, I went into that day, not anticipating on making a video, but I just felt like there was a statement that needed to be made. And so what I started with was just writing on my computer, all my frustrations. And once I wrote it out, I thought somebody needs to make a video. So I made a video. Even then I wasn't sure I had the courage to post it because I understood the ramifications of it. And I went home, thought maybe I should just sleep on it. But I knew if I slept on it, I wouldn't do it. And so you I, were you were here in the states when you did that. Yeah, so I was the, when I the job I had when it happened was I was a battalion commander at a place called Advanced Infantry Training Battalion. It's where if you go to sniper school or advanced machine gun school or advanced mortar school, all the advanced infantry schools are in the instructor cadres of the command that I had. Okay. So I was only in that command seat for about two months. I took it at the end of June and now we're at the end of August. So I had been only in the job for about two months when I made that video. And I was in Jacksonville, North Carolina is where that place is at. So made it in Jacksonville, North Carolina, posted it there. And then when I came into work the next day, I was relieved. And then I kind of got heckled on my social media by previous bosses calling out my honor and demanding I resign. And it just became one of these things where they started poking me in the chest and it became a series of escalating situations where I didn't plan on resigning. I didn't plan on making more videos, but I, I realized kind of my fate and they reacted in a manner that I felt like I was kind of getting bullied rather sure. than sympathizing with my position. I did anticipate most likely losing my job, but I thought there'd be an investigation. I thought there'd be more compassion. I thought there'd be acknowledgement of my statements and there was just none of that. And so I could have just remained quiet and allowed them to kind of silence me. They were going to move me to Quantico and just let the legal investigation take place. And I just decided I didn't want to live my life like that. And, you know, I got aggressive with it and said that I wanted to resign and it just escalated from there. Okay. So with everything on the line and you knew that, I mean, everything, your retirement. Yeah. I mean, I even articulated it in my first video. I said they knew I was risking my tiny commander seat, my retirement, my family stability, but. 
I, I, like I said, was just very personally invested. This is what I spent my whole life doing. And I already saw the writing on the wall that no one was going to be held accountable and that we weren't going to address the shortfalls in decision-making at the senior leader level. And I felt like somebody needed to, it wasn't my position to say it, but at the same time, no one else was saying it. And I did have, I was in a place in my career where, you know, I've been to all those places. I'm smart enough to know how it works. And I do have somewhat of a position of authority. And so I just felt like the time was then to make that statement. Sure. So it's funny you say that because that was a question that I wanted to ask is for all intents and purposes, you're, you're pretty high up on the the chain of command per se. Um, Why aren't people listening to you when, when obviously you, this wasn't an off the cuff statement, right? You you were trying to do it the right way and make inroads through the proper channels to, to, to address these issues. Why did those fall upon deaf ears? And not only that, but highly educated. Sure. Yeah. So their, their counter argument to that question would be, you know, there are processes in place to which I could have levied that conversation. But you have to understand, I have worked in this system long enough that I knew that those were dead ends, right? Right. So, yes, there's more I could have done in-house, but there was also a time aspect to this. So, one, I knew they would lead to nowhere. And two, letting those processes take place over four months where I knew where they ended and then having to make a public statement, it would not have been as effective. So, you know, I used those processes actually later as I was going through all the injustices that I was going through on, you know, them coming after me. And again, they were all dead ends and I could go in all those examples, but the the truth is those processes really only work um, if you're not calling out the people that the processes end with. Sure. Yeah. Far be it from, from anybody to, to question the leadership, right. And, and potentially uh, offer a solution uh, that, that could save the lives of, of many, many uh, Americans. Before that, before the pullout, was there um, any warning that they were going to do that, like that quick? So President Biden ordered the withdrawal in April, which again, doesn't make sense because anyone that knows anything about Afghanistan knows that the peak fighting season is from April to October. So if we had half a brain, we would have said, let's do the withdrawal from November to March, and we could have done it unmolested by the Taliban. But he picked September 11th because that was his PR date without really any thought to the implications to violence to our service members. And our senior generals were just complacent in all of this. So that so in April, he decides September 11th, we're going to have everybody out. And the other huge mistake was leaving Bagram Air Base, a piece of key terrain that, quite honestly, we probably should have just kept people there indefinitely, just like we have in Korea, just like we have right. in Germany. And it was it was a city, and it could have easily withhandled or withstood any advance of the Taliban with proper security, easily flown everyone out, and we just decided to abandon it and went to Kabul Airfield, which isn't, I mean just watching those videos of the people hanging on the airplane is just shows you how poorly secured that area was. There's just no barrier system like Bagram has. And so we just continued to make bad decisions from beginning to end of that operation. So, so are you, when that decision's made, it, it's, it's done in at the Pentagon level, correct? Yeah. So 
the way it worked was General McKenzie and the CENTCOM Combatant Command, when the president said, hey, we're going to do a withdrawal, April to September, he then goes back to his operational planners, develops plans for how to do it. And then he goes up to, with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the Secretary of Defense, they brief the National Security Council. And so whether Biden was in the room or his National Security Council just took it, I don't know. Maybe that'll come out in the history books. I'd love to know how hard we fought back. But when they went in that room and presented all the plans to the National Security Council, the National Security Council essentially said, because they, the military, I know the operational planners, they had a lot of plans that proposed the last thing was Bagram Air Base. And the restraints that the National Security Council placed on the proposals was that they wanted troops out much faster because they wanted to ensure that they had people out by September 11th. And so the way that got interpreted was, well, if that's the restraint, you know, they didn't, General McKenzie didn't resign. He didn't push back. He didn't convince them why they needed Bagram. And they just decided, well, all right, then we'll just leave Bagram at some point, not tell anybody and just fall back to Kabul because we can do that with less people. And that's how it worked. So ultimately you've got arguably the most brilliant military minds in a room. And I'm going to use air quotes brilliant military minds in, in a room. And there's not one voice of dissension. Like this probably isn't the best idea. It, it's mind boggling to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't in the room. That's, sure, that was sure. the whole point of that video was like, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Air Base? Like, and um, I mean, maybe they did. And they, and, and you can't always convince people. Sure. My position is they should have resigned if they couldn't convince them. They didn't. But either way, whether they, you know, if they pushed back at all, if they dissented or if they didn't, once they d- didn't resign, they now become accountable. They can't go back and say, well, no, it's not our fault because he told us we had to draw down troops quicker. You know, like that's what and that's what they said at the congressional testimony. Well, no, we told the president twenty five hundred troops, which the significance of that is that would have been enough to hold Bagram. And, uh, you know, so now everyone's just kind of pointing at everyone else. Sure. Yeah. There's culpability for inaction. Right. Um, so, so ultimately you put out that second video and then in a short, short time, they, they come in and, and arrest you. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, if I was in jail by like the third week of September, so this from first video to jail was about three, four weeks. So it, once again, j- just because I don't think that our, our general viewership understands, it's not jail like city jail, correct? Where they took you. This is there's there. You're talking about full uh, isolation rooms. And you can free. You, you can speak freely, correct? Like, you, yeah, I don't want to put you in a trick bag where you can't talk. No, about yeah, I can. Okay. I can speak freely. I'm, can uh, you? Yeah. Can, so, now. can you paint the picture like every day yeah. what yeah. it was like? So you get into jail. It's, it's solitary. So they have basically two wings. They have a general population. So the jail was the Camp Lejeune brig is what it's called. And they have two populations. They have a general population and they have what they call special quarters. Special quarters is like 16 isolated cells. And it's not considered solitary confinement because you have a slit in your door where you can hear other people. Um, But yeah, you're in solitary confinement. So you're not allowed. I mean, you have a, you get one hour of outside time a day and you get one hour of uh, TV time a day. And so you get two hours out of your cell and 
you get three meals a day. You're not allowed to sleep. And so you just sit there for the rest of the day in yourself. What do you, what do you mean you're not allowed to sleep? You're not allowed to sleep in the daytime. In the daytime. Yeah. So if you're dozing off, they like check on you? They wake you up. Wow. So you had, so cam- you're, you had cameras you're on you the entire time. What's that? You had cameras on you the entire time. Yeah, you have a camera in the front and the back. So if you're, you know, going to choose to masturbate or something like that, somebody's watching you the whole time, right? So you're just sitting there with cameras on you. So it's still a form of torture. Ultimately. So in my opinion. Yeah. So, so you're, you're, you're watching to, you're able to read, are they, or is there nothing in this picture of this? A lot of the guys when they get there don't have anything. I didn't have anything for the first 72 hours, but then my lawyer brought me books and writing pads. And then my quality of life improved dramatically because I could start writing and reading. Okay. And that gave me something to do. But like the first 72 hours, I was just sitting there. Just with the, in your so own mind. What, what's happening in, in your head? 72 hours locked Yeah, I mean, there was a lot going on in my life. So in, in a way, it was kind of therapeutic because I was able to, I was forced to hear yourself to just stare at my thoughts. Yeah, right. Quite a while. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's how you do. So, so at what point are, cause you don't know what's going, you don't know if you're going to be there the rest of your life, right? Ultimately I, I mean, you've got your attorney. So you've got your interaction with attorneys and, and, you know, I, I feel horrible for, for those that uh, are trying to stand up like you, that, that may not have been afforded the opportunity to, to counsel right away or been able to afford counsel. Um, but so besides the interaction with your attorney and are you just, are you meeting with him once a week, uh, every other day, phone calls with him? I had a civilian attorney and a military attorney. So my civilian attorney called every other day and my military lawyer visited me almost every day, not the weekends. So I was there only through one weekend. So nobody visited me on the weekend, but on all the weekdays, my military lawyer stopped by just to check on me. So there's a lot of moving parts uh, at, at this point because everybody, while you're in there, everybody on the outside is really scurrying, trying to to figure out how how they can get you out. Yeah the 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 one of the guards came and told me that they had received just an overwhelming amount of mail and that they were just going to forward it, so they weren't going to actually give it to me because they didn't want to go through all of it. Okay. So like all the mail that I got, I never actually got. It got forwarded on. And then I guess somebody sent some pizzas and all they didn't give it to me. Obviously the guards ate the pizza. They did tell me that somebody sent me pizzas. Um, and said, so, thank so you. Got, right. And then yeah, at least yeah. thank you for the pizza you got. Yeah, sent. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so at, at what point, at what point do you think, or do you ever have this point where you're like, I'm going to have to just resign myself that I'm going to be incarcerated the rest of my life. Or is there always that hope that, cooler heads would prevail and something would come. I never thought I was going to be in jail for the rest of my life. I thought if I went to general court martial and even if I was found guilty, that they would release me. And, but if I, if I decided to take general court martial, then I would have been in there for six months. So in my head sitting in there with nothing to do is like, man, I might be here for six months. So so, so I, I, I guess the reason I asked that, that question, I don't even know if it was a, a thought, you know, during that, that time for you, when you, when you're being held indefinitely without any charges being, they can hold you indefinitely while they're, while yeah. the investigation is going. Yeah, so exactly. that, that could be did. longer than six months. Right. 
Yeah, they not only did they they took my DNA too, right? So, like you know, they can just throw you in there, and they threw me under false pretenses because they said I was a flight risk, which was a lie. They didn't use lesser forms of restraint. So, theoretically, in our system, they, the commanding officer just has to lie on the document, send you to jail. They can take your DNA. And they can hold you exactly right until they they want to bring charges. It's it's pretty weird. It's a crazy system. What do you mean, take your DNA? Like, did a blood they draw? Pulled me out of my cell and did a blood draw. For what? I don't know. Just that, just, wow. Who knows, right? Uh, you're already like fingerprinted and everything. You're in the military, right? Yeah, that's what I, I think it's probably for show. I thought the same thing. I'm like, I'm sure you guys already have my DNA, but I don't know. I don't know. All right. So so he, here we are. Uh, you, you you have the potential for, a, a, let's just say, a, a long stay while they're continuing to investigate. And if it wasn't for, do you really think it was for the public support for you that, that kind of expedited this process to, to get you out? Uh, no doubt that there was pressure, right? So how, how much that pressure played into it? I, there was a ton of pressure for my characterization of discharge and they had to set up like their independent phone booth for all the people answering the phones at uh, the secretary of the Navy's office, but they still gave me a general under honorable. So Yes, the pressure played into it. How much? I, I, I can't say. So so that title, um, how does that affect you right now? What title? I'm sorry. The general under honor. Oh, the, the, the catch of that really doesn't affect me at all, other than had I got an honorable, I could have gone into like the National Guard or the Reserves and gotten my 20 years and gotten my retirement. Oh, so, so you, general, you did not get your retirement? No, I did not. Got it. So what the general under honorable ultimately does, I mean, it's not going to prevent me from getting a job or doing anything like that, but it does prevent me from reaching my retirement. Okay. So, so where, where are we at today? Obviously we, we know that there, there was an agreement. Um, I, I don't necessarily, did, let me word this correctly. I, I'm just going to come out and say it. If you can, if you can talk about it, uh, that's great. If, if not, I, I understand. Do you feel that your statement that you gave prior to your release was a true and accurate portrayal of, of what happened, or was that something just to pacify and, and get yourself free so you can continue to talk about the injustices and the miscarriages of justice that, that happened within the, uh, the ranks? Yeah. I mean, half of that shit in there, I could have beat legally. I didn't fully believe a lot of it, but it wasn't like you could agree with some and disagree with others. It was a yeah. binary choice. Right. Either, all, all or nothing package. Right. So I either accepted guilty on all the charges and went to special and got out of jail or I plead not guilty. And I wait in there, like we said, for six months until I went to general. And also, if I got found guilty of one of them in general, then it was a felony and a special is only like a misdemeanor. So, yeah, okay, I mean, yeah, you got to play your odds on this, right? I wasn't, uh, you know, like I. I probably wouldn't have minded like if I was really felt I was not guilty and I would have pled not guilty, but I do think I broke the rules. Like there was some stuff I said, like I knew the whole time I was breaking the rules, Sure, but I thought what I was doing outweighed the positive effects. Right. So I thought the the change in the positive effects was more important. So I was, I was at breaking the rules. So the other thing too, is like, what was most important to me, it was the message of accountability and it seemed like I would be somewhat hypocritical if I beat all the charges via legal technicalities 
based on their undue command influence if I was then asking them for accountability. So for all those reasons, it just made sense for me to plead guilty and and move forward. Do you you ever just sit back and be like, holy shit, I'm going to be in a history book one day? (laughs) No, I don't think that's hitting me yet. I've been moving too fast. (laughs) I'll let you know when that comes. (laughs) So, so, you know, you, you, you said that this, you did this for accountability to try to inspire change. Have you seen any of that? No, I was, I was going to ask the same thing. Has anything no, I, I do think uh, I do think I've tapped into an emotion that a lot of people want. I do think I've started a conversation. I do think I've opened a lot of eyes of people in the military, and I do think I have the senior leaders' wheels turning. So I won't say that I haven't impacted things, but obviously no one's been fired yet. But now that I'm on the outside, I've got a large enough platform that you know, as long as I can maintain my momentum keep the narrative out there of what I think the American people want. I think that it will come. It's just nothing happens quickly. So let's touch on that. What, what do the American people want and, and, and what platforms are you talking about to keep your momentum going on? I think the American people want leaders specifically in senior military ranks and in politics. And so I understand that our politicians are representatives and not leaders there. That being said, I don't feel like they are demonstrating some of the characteristics of leaders that we need, like courage. And it's a lot of self-preservation. So one of your questions is, what am I doing? I started a website called votesforvets.org. We've got like 30 congressional candidates and like six Senate candidates that I plan to try and put into office this 22 cycle. Most of them are veterans and I think demonstrate the leadership qualities that we need. So that's one of the things I'm doing. Um, The other thing with the military, it's a little bit harder because you can't change it with voting. So that's why I think accountability is so important because accountability doesn't fix the problem. The problem is that we have senior military leaders that have figured out how to navigate their career and not how to win wars. What accountability does is causes a course correction for those senior military leaders that have gotten to the top ranks and are not experts in what they should be. And then it makes other people look around. Now, a deeper solution would be figuring out how to make the promotion system reflect the values that the military actually needs. And that's a longer term fix. But in the short term, at a bare minimum, when there's just clear evident failure, we need to figure out how to start holding these people accountable. I want to, I want to piggyback on that. Yeah, go ahead. I, I talked to your folks about this because number one, in my opinion, you're an American hero, right? Just like many of our viewers, you know, they feel the same way. And I said, Hey, holy shit. He needs to run for office. So a couple questions. One, does your discharge affect your eligibility at all to run for office? No, no. Had I got a dishonorable, it, it could have, it's weird. You got to like ask permission of like the local, whatever, um, and even with a dishonorable or a felony, you actually can still run uh, through some loopholes. But with a general under honorable, it doesn't cause any problems. And is it in your future? I do think I will run in 24, um, not in 22. I had a lot of people approach me for 22. It's just too early for me. We've got a lot going on in my life. So I'm going to influence the 22 cycle with the coalition I built. But 2024, okay. yeah. Talking to two people that have ran, uh, it's a lot of work, man. It's probably a smart choice. Yeah. yeah you got to well, get your uh, 
get your game plan laid out. And, you know, what, what you're talking about specifically with, you know, the, the institution, the military institution, it, the word systemic is thrown around, oh, you know, gosh. primarily it goes with, <laughs> with, with racism, but you want to talk about a systemic issue. That's what needs to change at the higher end of the, the military infrastructure is there are systemic issues that need to, to be corrected. Like you said, go back to the core values. And, and, and that's very interesting. I, you, you laid it out in the way I didn't think about that, but that word came to mind. Yeah, I completely agree. There are systemic problems. And that's why it's even more frustrating because I see all these systemic issues. And then Lloyd Austin is in office for the Secretary of Defense for 100 days. And he says, I've done my problem framing and the biggest threat facing the DOD is COVID. Right. And his secondary right. focus was extremism. And I was like, what are you like? Either you're just singing what the politicians want you to sing or you're that bad. But either way, you're not helping us. Like You need to get out of the way. You just mentioned something I wanted to ask you about. So I know you addressed... 45 and 46 in, in, in a sense. Um, and I don't necessarily have to go down that path. Um, now let's do it. So I, I made a post before I went to jail that essentially got me into jail and it got me into jail because I violated a gag order. And as I wasn't supposed to talk, I actually quoted the gag order. And so in that post, I was trying to just attack the whole system. So like every leader over the last 20 years I attacked and it was apolitically, right? So it was last four presidents, all the famous general officers, I mean, all of them, right? Sure. So it wasn't supposed to be targeted at anyone specifically. You got a lot of backlash for President Trump and part of it's rightfully so because, again, I spoke, like when I quoted President Obama, I said he lacked internal fortitude. Like no article ran that as a story. Nowhere, you can't find it. But when I spoke out against President Trump, I'm not kidding, there was like 10 different news outlets that picked that up and ran with it, which is not fair. For him or for me. And so then President Trump actually called a member on my team and was going to speak out against me. And I think rightfully so, defend himself. And the member on my team was like, hey, Stu's going through a lot. I don't think that was a personal on you. It was more against the system. So if you just give it time, we'd appreciate it. And he did, right? So he took the high road and I made another post and thanked him, you know, for especially after I went through what I went through where people call me like fascist and all like just these crazy things. I think I got a little taste of what it's probably like to be him. And so I said, Hey, in that situation, you demonstrated you had more character than me and I appreciate it. So, you know, president Trump's done a lot of good things. He's got a strong follower base. So I, I never meant to, you know, make it personal, even though that post had a lot of personal attacks in it, but you got to understand the larger context. I was trying to slay sacred cows so that I could upset my command to show a disproportionate response to bring attention to what I was trying to bring attention to. That's a little psychological operation going on. Um, <laughs> but what I was really getting to though, because I wasn't sure if you wanted to go there, but you mentioned COVID and we have a huge issue with mandates. Yeah. And now Biden saying he's going to just fire everybody that just came out. Where are you at on that? The whole COVID thing is so confusing. So if the FDA approved it, and then the DOD said you have to take the vaccine. That's a legal order. There's a lot of contention right there because they're saying it's not FDA approved. It's like emergency use. And then the, the vaccines they're using or some other thing. Like, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't know all that. So let's just skip past all that. People could that debate can rage on. But like, let's just assume that it was approved by the FDA and the DOD gave a legal order. So let's I, I have to start there because otherwise it's hard to even have this conversation. Sure. Well, in my opinion, 
like the DOD has to acknowledge the uniqueness of this vaccine and how quickly it was pushed through and give service members a choice. And now if the service member says, I don't want to take it and they say, all right, you're going to be discharged. Okay. Like I I'm actually, I understand the logic, but right now they're not giving them honorable discharges, which to me is just fucking criminal. So if you have a guy that served for 19 years and based on the uniqueness of this situation, looks at his own data and facts and decides that this vaccine is not for him and they don't give him an honorable discharge. Like I can't even wrap my brain around that. But when you sign up um, and, and I haven't served, so I have no basis for this. And I'm just, just, just an inquiry from everybody we're talking to, you get a regiment of inoculations. Am I correct on that? Oh yeah. I mean, I'll go a step further when anthrax happened in 2001 and that was like all the rage they made us get anthrax shots in the dod and back then it was six shots in a booster i got like four or five shots and they lost my medical record i had to start over i got like six more shots and then they found my first medical record and they're like oh my god you've had like 10 of these like you can't have any more of these how are you still alive (laughs) and then it came out and then it came out that it wasn't fda approved because it causes like nerve damage right so like this is the type of stuff that like if you're an old guy like me and have been around like yes the dod absolutely does stuff like this right so you you've got uh, arguably our military uh <laughs> our, our military that's been deployed, they've got experimental shit in them, no matter what, right? And let, let's face it, even when you're going back down to and, and you served in, in in the Gulf, right? You don't know what you were given ultimately because it comes in in what nondescript vials, correct? And and you're not necessarily you know, well, hey, like this is gonna, this is going to keep you alive, right? And and you take it and you take it knowingly because you want to trust the government's doing right by you. But ultimately, you you could could be the guinea pig. That's right. Okay, I just I want to clarify that. Um, and and I I think what's really kind of it's an interesting nexus is it, the argument is that the the American people are not now the guinea pig. It's not the military only. Yep. And, and and now eyebrows are starting to get raised. It, it's it's such an interesting, like I said, interesting nexus that that that's formed. Where oh, it's not a big deal when the military is going overseas and they're getting jabbed with all sorts of things that to, to to stop Agent Orange and and, and whatnot. But uh, that weren't FDA approved. But now that they're forcing it upon the general public, now we have issues with it. And here's our our sh- every show disclaimer. Oh yes, thank we're, you. We're we're not anti-vax. We've never been anti-vax. We're freedom of choice, right? So we, we say that. I really believe that's what's kept us alive. Um, and so last year, that that was Hall of Mirrors. That's the, that's what we talked about because. You know, our following, it just came to us. Hey, you know, talk about this. What do we do? Ask us for advice. We had nurses, firefighters, you name it. We had it on. We had uh, Dr. Malone on yeah. uh, late last last year. That was a, a really insightful episode uh, as well. But ended the year on him. And that was before he went on Rogan, which was really cool. Um, have you been on Rogan yet? <laughs> I have not. Yeah, we're trying. To, I actually reached out to him. So we'll see. Rogan's got a lot going on in his life right now. Too. He sure right. does, doesn't he? Right. So maybe, maybe. So, we'll so be- actually, you know, <laughs> you, you, you've got a, a platform of, of candidates that you want to put in office. Let, let's talk about that. Right. And you, you've got aspirations in 2024. With the cancel culture being what it is right now, what, what's your perception on it? If you were sitting in office right now, does Spotify have the right to, to drop Rogan? 
and you know whether it be the, the the racial slurs that weren't really racial slurs or or you know his stance on just getting information out do you think the big tech has too much censorship uh, ability i think i i think spotify does have the right to cancel them they're a business um but i think that would work to joe rogan's benefit I think the reason podcasts have taken off is because people are so sick of the media with their own narratives that they're seeking truth with podcasts with real people. And that's the allure of Joe Rogan. So that's what makes people dangerous, right? It would be a bad business move for Spotify to do that. And so I don't think they will. We just discussed this. We just, I mean, right. We actually did a show before uh, this one. And even though it was a hundred million dollar deal, right. It's 20 million a year, but I mean, they could let them go whenever they wanted. I'm sure. Yeah, and, and, but and it, would, it wouldn't and, be smart. No, it wouldn't be smart. But but in 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 the same breath, you know that it's a big corporation. You you, you said it, Stu. But in this podcast, like ours, make big corporations nervous because we 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 have the potential to draw you know the the hundred million views that, that you know NBC and Fox can't can't do. Be, because even even Fox News, it's still slanted one way, and so we're going to have this conversation. And I'm 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 not leaning Democrat. I'm not leaning Republican. I'm not leaning you know for vax, not vax. But here's the information of, of what we know. You make your own decision because I really think that you know it's it's assumed that the general public are just little uh, automatons that are going to go with whatever they're listening to at this point. And I don't I don't think that's the case. And I think there's I hate to be cliche, but but an awakening starting to happen. And because people are starting oh, yeah. to call the media out on this. I completely believe, I agree with you. And I, I don't know if Trump started it or just really exacerbated it, but for some reason when Trump was in office, like the hypocrisy just really got put on broadcast with all these people trying to attack him. And it was like, yeah. So I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm pro freedom of choice uh, in almost all things, to be quite honest with you. Um, and I, I also agree that there's a, change upon us. I also think social media for all its perils is maybe something that the large conglomerates didn't see coming because it provided a, a voice for so many other people. And so I do think um, we're going to get the train back on the tracks, but yeah, there was a time there where it just, I mean, it got crazy. Like the teachers unions putting transgender bathrooms in schools before like anyone even knew about it. Like it was right. just, you know, like things were just happening really fast there for a while. Funny you said that, man, because when I, I went to Portland in like 2019 and uh, I, had to, I had to do a presentation uh, at a college for, for work and that was the first time. And I'm not discriminating or anything, but it was just like, whoa. Yeah. There it was. Yeah. yeah. I've never experienced it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. There yeah. It was. yeah. But, but you're right. Everything kind of was getting snuck in. Uh, you know, in the, under the shade of darkness, per se, yeah. and then you know, small small podcasts like ours start shining little tidbits of light, and then that catches fire. Then eventually, if you're making enough noise, it's going to uh, it's going to have to be talked about. Now, what's spent on the larger networks, but what spin they put on it, and I'm sure, you know, with your case specifically, how many different ways, depending on where you were listening, what was it spun? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's crazy that then the narratives that were told about me. But to your point, CNN, like when my first video came out, waited like 48 hours. But after 48 hours, it picked up like millions of views and they had no choice but to put it on their website. Same thing with MSNBC. And, you know, then all these 
liberal media networks that covered me, I have reached out to them and told them I would love to come on your shows and talk because I'm willing to engage anyone and they just won't even bring me on. And so that's like another method that they have. They can just refuse to bring you on and have a conversation. And so if only the conservative media is engaging me, it's like, well, he must be a right-wing extremist because he's just going on all right-wing shows. I'm like, I'm reaching out to the left. Like they're not putting me on. Like, do you have a recommendation to get me on there? But you know, that that's why, and, and once again, this is going to be more conspiracy theory uh, and, and I don't like delving into it, but you know, we does, say that every I do, I do say we that say every, it every fucking show, but it doesn't uh, matter. We do it anyway. But, <laughs> but, you know, but is that, is that done by design? Look, Fox, take that, spin that more right. Because let's face it, Democrat, Republican, I could give or take either because at the end of the day, what are they doing? You know, and, and, and who, who are their owners, you know, who are their handlers and who are, and that's, that's the same thing with, with big corporate media is, is there a left and right wing when it comes to corporate media or is it, Hey, this guy, we can spin into your court. Yeah. I, I, you I know, you. So it I keeps have the a, country divided, right? It keeps it- I have a website, another website, which is really my brand. You can go and see the, you can pre-order the book I'm writing. You can. I was just going to ask you about that, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a conversation with your parents. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah. My website is authenticamericans.com. And it's to your point. I think one of the biggest threats to this country are the extreme right and left that are polarizing it. And I think like the central right and central left might actually have more in common with each other. I'm not saying you're going to agree with each other on everything, but we need to have more healthy dialogue with all sides. And this paradigm of just right and left is it can be dangerous. And so conversations, yeah, conversations becoming unacceptable. You know, if I'm, if I'm over here and you're over here, we're we're not allowed to talk. And and that's the most, you know, dangerous facet of of what's going on in this country right now is there, there can't be civil conversations being had and middle grounds just not found. Everyone just digs in their heels, far left, far right. And you're getting put these, these tags are being put on you. And and then you have to identify because that's the only way people will listen, but they're only listening in your camp. And we've got to find a way to break that threshold. No one will have a conversation anymore. Well, if that goes back to, I can't get on CNN or MSNBC to have that conversation. I did I did get an opportunity to go on a YouTube show where when I was going through my ordeal, this guy was just talking mass trash about me. And so I reached out to him and I was like, Hey man, I'd love to come on your show. Uh, you know, and he, he did, he had me on. And by the end he said, I stand with Stu and we had a great See, that's conversation. All, that's all it takes. Right. I know that's what I'm saying. But that right. was the point. I was like, you like, I can't be a hypocrite. If, if I'm saying we should have freedom of speech, then that goes both ways. Like, I don't care if you have a different opinion, if you're sticking to the facts, where I have a problem with it is if you are misreporting facts just so that you can, you know, get your view out. And I don't feel like he, this guy did that. And so I was like, you know, you stuck to the facts, but you had a different opinion. That's fine. And like, I would like to have a conversation about your different opinion. And we don't at the end have to agree, but we can have civil discourse just like you're talking about. Right. That's great. Sorry, my phone was going off. Uh, yeah. Getting back to that. It's like, you know, they, they say, you know, based on fact but their facts are kind of skewed too sometimes that makes it <laughs> well, facts are subjective yeah now, right? subjective cool man so you are writing a book what do you have a title yet it's called crisis of command how americans lost faith and confidence in america's generals and politicians how far are you writing a book's tough man i i, <laughs> I my goal is to have it done by late summer early fall i i do have a couple chapters done but 
you know, you got all these ideas and then you sit down to write it and you're like, uh, right. Only so many brainstorming sessions. I'm going right? to need a signed copy of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so what's next for you? What, what can't, or do you have any campaigns that you can say that, that you're working on that we can, or we can just drive everybody to your website? Uh, yeah, I think the two websites I gave authenticamericans.com and votesforvets.org. Again, Authentic Americans is kind of my brand. The Votes for Vets is the coalition. At authenticamericans.com on the bottom, you'll find all my social media. It's linked to it. So I, I talk a lot on social media as well. And there was a lot of fake social media accounts when I was going through this. So just make sure you got the right one. In fact, one of the one of the politicians that I'm supporting, I gave him an endorsement and he tagged one of my fake accounts. And I was like, that's not me. Like, so, so like even people that I work with are still doing this. There's a lot of fake accounts for me out there. But you you have a logo now, right? You're, you're verified right, I saw, now. I saw okay. that. Well, no, he's got an actual oh. logo. Okay. He's got like a brand. No, yep. so. trademarked it too. Big deal. There you go. That's what you got to yeah. do, man. You know. <laughs> All right. So, you know, we're, well, we want to keep you around the hour, but I have one I, one other point that I want to kind of get into with you is when we spoke with your mom, she said that she her, she does a lot of work for uh, the vets themselves to get themselves uh, the help they need, mental health. Are you still involved with that? And said she said said that you were involved with that. So let, let's talk about that a, a little bit as well. Or, yeah, please. Yeah, that's great. Um, so the nonprofit that I partnered with probably five years ago is called A Hero, and so you can just Google them. It's the letter A and then the word Hero, all one word, and they've got a website. And he, this guy, was a Marine as well, and he was in Camp Lejeune with me. I've known him for a while, and he's got a, a huge organization. And they do, you know, millions of dollars in outdoor retreats for veterans to prevent suicide. And so I had bought a 50 acre piece of timberland in eastern North Carolina as just an investment man's playground type deal. And I knew this guy had he's got like a thousand acres in Alabama. And then he's also bought different plots of land across the United States. So I just reached out to him and said, hey, you know, if I lease you my property real cheap, will you like help me? figure out how to get veterans out there and, and help people. And he was like, absolutely. That's win-win. So we bought a couple of school buses. That second video is that's why I have those school buses. Cause me and this guy brought them out there and we redid them so that we could bring people out there. And the point is not to drink. So we go out there and we have pastors and different people that just talk to them and uh, allow them to kind of vent and we got some hunting stands. And so that's why I have all that. Okay. And, and you're still actively involved with yeah, it's, they yeah. still uh, they still lease my property. Like you can drive out there. It's between New Bern and Kinston, and but he he actually retired and moved back down to Alabama, so he runs his organization out of Alabama, and then he has like chauffeurs, uh, like like North Carolina team runs my property. And okay. So there's different guys. Yeah, man, I'm happy you shared your story, man. Uh, highly educated. Uh, fought so hard for this country, man. Um, American hero. I'm so happy, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. And uh, I, I echo that for, for sure. Just the positive. Yeah. I, and, and that's what I like. I, I like the positive vibes we get from you. Your, your family's been unbelievably awesome as, as Randy's uh, said. And, and we hope that uh, we lived up to what, what your dad said. About <laughs> yeah. Too, yeah, so. You guys are, you guys are, you know, Papa Bear's number one podcast. So All right, I dude. felt bad when I hadn't got on here sooner. So awesome. 
Yeah, no, I, I knew you had a lot going on, you know, at that time. Yeah, you know, I was just like, all right, we'll just, we'll, we'll, when it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And that's how it always works out. Yeah. So I, I just hope we'll, we'll end the podcast on, on, on this note. I hope that in the future you, you come back on with us, keep us updated as to what's going on. And uh, we, we've got a reach kind of, you know, probably not, not as large as your reach, but we've got our own uh, unique reach that uh, we might be able to help some of your candidates out as well. And specifically you in 2024, we'd love to, to be a, a assistance to you. hundred percent. I hope you guys bring me back on. Oh,